you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. And please stand with me as we hear from God's Word. God's Word is holy, completely without error, sufficient and authoritative in our lives. Hear now the Word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would bless the reading, hearing, and expounding of Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would convict us of our sin, that You would show us Jesus Christ. We ask this in His name. Amen. Please be seated. And if you have young children, ages 4 to 7, you have the opportunity, if you so desire, to send them to our children's worship. I was so anxious to get into the Word that I neglected that announcement. The children will be returned at the end of the service. Have you noticed that one of the things that is perhaps a mark of the late 20th and early 21st century is that everyone has a ministry? Have you noticed that? If you're a believer, it really doesn't matter what you do, it's a ministry. And quite often, it's a ministry with a name and a corporate form and a tax ID number. It really doesn't matter what you're doing. You could work on cars, and you have a car repair ministry. You could babysit, and you have a babysitting ministry. You could read the scriptures, and you could have a scripture reading ministry. And so the question then comes to us at times because... We realize that we are supposed to minister to others. God calls us to ministry, every one of us. Yet at the same time, we're uncomfortable that 
everything and anything is some sort of quasi-official ministry. And so we wonder what that means. The word has almost come to be so elastic as to be without real meaning. And so what I would like us to see this morning is an answer to that question, that query that maybe you've had. You might not have had it this morning, but you might have had it when something came in the mail asking for a donation to a ministry. I'd like us to look and see at Paul's model of ministry. We looked last week at the same text, and we saw Paul's testimony of grace. And I would put it to you that the two are intentionally intertwined. Paul's testimony of God's work in his life and his explanation of how he ministers to others. They go together. You don't have a ministry without the work of God in your life. And God doesn't work in your life and you be passive and not minister to others. And so what I would like us to see from the text this morning is Paul's model. And his model, I think, can be summed up under three main headings. First, Paul tells us, if you want to have an effective ministry, first, know the truth. That's where it begins. Know the truth. Then secondly, he tells us something that I think catches us by surprise when we think about ministry. He says, know the truth and then know the church. He immediately brings the church into view. And then finally, he convicts us by saying a crucial element of ministry is not only to know the truth and to know the church, but it's also to know the people. So if you would minister to others, along with Paul, you must know God's truth. You must know God's church. And you must minister by knowing God's people. Let us see what Paul has to say here this morning. The first thing that he tells us is that we need to know the truth. And this is important because, first of all, the truth is from God. Truth isn't just out there. Truth isn't just something that we see and we somehow reconcile with who God is. No, truth comes from God Himself. It is truth because it comes from God. Not because God acknowledges an abstract principle of truth. Look at what Paul says. He's very blunt. He says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. The gospel does not belong to man. It belongs to God. It starts from God. Remember the context in which Paul says this statement. He says, I'm not seeking to please men. I'm seeking to please God. When I explain to you the gospel and tell you this truth, I am pleasing God because I am declaring His truth. You see, the gospel is first and foremost not about what it means to us. It's about declaring what God has said is true. The wonderful thing is that God's truth has wonderful application to our lives. But it begins with God. That is the context. Paul says it's not man's gospel. It's not the gospel according to man. Man has the gospel and brings it to other men because its source is God. Have you thought about that in your own ministry? That when you tell others about the gospel, it's not something you have that you are telling people that you have found helpful in your life. The self-help aisle is full of those sorts of books 
Well, the South Beach diet worked for me, so let me tell you about that. No, 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 it's Adkins for me. Let me tell you how many pounds I lost. No. The gospel comes from God. And we are merely heralds, messengers of this truth that comes from God. Paul is very eager to defend this principle. Look what he says, not once, but twice. He says, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. God revealed it to me, he says. Look at verse 10. He says, I am trying to please God because God revealed to me, verse 12, Jesus Christ. God was pleased to reveal Jesus Christ, verse 16. He's being emphatic here. He says, this is something God gave to me, and now I'm telling you. This is God's truth. The question comes to us, do we defend God's ownership of the gospel? Have you thought about that? That's really the rejoinder when someone says to you, how can you be so narrow-minded to say there's only one way? And the answer to that is, it's not my decision. Perhaps if I had decided, there might be dozens of ways. But that's not my choice, because it's not my truth. It's not my gospel. It's God's. And He has told me there is one way to Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a servant. This is the gospel of God. See, the truth is not just from God, it is also about God. You see, it comes from God and it tells us about God. It is about, first and foremost, His grace. Look at verse 15. Paul says it quickly, but I want you to think about all that's packed into this statement. He says, but when He who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. You see, the Gospel starts with God and describes God's condescension to man. Even before I was born, Paul says, God called me. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I was a student of Gamaliel. It's not because I'm a Roman citizen. It's not because I'm going to write several books of the Bible. Before I was even born, God shed His grace upon me. That's the truth. The truth is, it begins with God's grace. Of course, we know this from Paul's story. That's what Acts 9 is all about. Paul is running as fast as he can away from God. He's persecuting the church. And God stops him in his tracks and by his grace opens Paul's eyes. The truth is about God. And it's about his grace. But it's also about his son. That is the content of the truth. Again, the truth is not abstract. This ministry that we have, this truth that we know of, is primarily about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that who was revealed to Paul, isn't it? He is a servant of Christ. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to Paul from God. God revealed Jesus to Paul as the content of what he would preach to the Gentiles. 
You see, the truth of God is centered upon the person and work of Christ. Now, Paul's just giving us a thumbnail sketch here. He's going to go on at great length about what Jesus has done and what we are to say and what the results of Jesus' work are throughout the rest of this book. But you see, the truth of God is about Jesus Christ. And in telling us who Jesus Christ is and His grace, God is telling us in His truth, thirdly, who He is. We know that He is a Father. We know that He is a loving Father. We know, as Francis Schaeffer puts so well, that He is not silent. That He does not leave us to grope around in the dark for His truth. That He reveals it to us. The psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And Paul says in Romans 1 that he has specifically declared to us his power and redemption in Jesus Christ. God tells us who he is. The truth is from God and it's about God. And finally, the truth is for God. Now that shouldn't surprise us. Because if truth comes from God and it's about Him, it's for His own ends and purposes. Remember again this context of verse 10. Paul's telling us all of this in the context of Him being a servant of Jesus Christ. He knows what He knows for the sake of serving God. And so the challenge comes to us. Those who would say, you don't need to know much about the truth. You just need to love Jesus. And those who would say, I'm just going to spend all of my time thinking about God and mining God's Word. I can't be bothered with other people. Paul says, the reason that you are to have your nose in this book and know as much as you can possibly know about God is to serve Him by bringing His message. You can't ignore the truth. You can't downplay the truth but you have to use the truth. Don't be like the man who goes every Saturday to the hardware store to buy a new tool to put it up on his workbench and never uses them. Never fixes anything. And when someone comes into his driveway with a broken car says, I'd love to help you, but I'm I'm rearranging my tools right now. We need to know the truth to serve God, for God. But we don't just know the truth. Paul says that we are also to know the church. He says it here in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, when we first read that, we might think that Paul doesn't have much use for the church. He's finally getting around to seeing Peter, and he's only there 15 days, and he only sees two people, and then he goes off. But we need to think about the context of what Paul has said and put it in the context of his life that we know in Acts chapter 9. When Paul is converted on the Damascus Road, when he is blinded, what's the first thing he is told to do? Do you remember? 
Luke records it in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Luke says that the Lord tells him to go into the city and in so many words, meet the church. Go find Ananias. Have you thought about that? Here is perhaps the greatest convert of this era. One of the most brilliant men who has ever lived. Who has just had probably the most incredible experience of God up till this point. He's seen the risen Christ in glory after His ascension. The other apostles have not. The Apostle John will later. He's seen the risen Christ, and the first thing he does is go to the church and go to a backwater part of the church, a struggling part of the church, and not even to see an apostle, to see some guy, Ananias. Why is that? I put it to you, it's because God knows, and Paul tells us, that God works through His church. In our day and age, that is a very easy thing to forget. Church becomes an add-on to our Christianity. It's something that is optional. It's something that even we who are attached to the church think is a work that we bring to God. We do it better than other Christians because we're attached to the church. When in reality, that's the baseline. That's the bare minimum requirement. You start with the church. You see, God wants our knowledge, the truth that we know, and our service, the truth that we bring, to be done in the context of the church. The church is God's vehicle for building His kingdom. He says, I will build my church, not groups, not individuals, not even ministries. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, against the church. And you notice what God does in Paul's life. You have to remember, Paul is thinking through all of this because this is autobiographical material. He's telling the Galatians probably a story he's already told them. God brings Paul to a place where men in the church are there to help and to serve him and to equip him to minister to others. He brings Paul to Ananias. And Ananias introduces him to the church and is an instrument in God's healing of Saul, now Paul. But he does more than that. He brings to Paul's side Barnabas. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, you remember the story. You don't need to turn there now. What's happening is, Paul's having difficulty. He's not being accepted by other believers. And what God does is, He brings Paul, he brings Barnabas into his life so that when he goes to Jerusalem, he'll be accepted. You see, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, Luke tells us in Acts 9. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord 
who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Do you see what God did through his church? He brought Barnabas up. He could have very easily had a direct revelation to the apostles. Apostles, Paul's with me. Trust him. But he didn't. God uses the church. Is this the way that we see the church? Do you study or think about church history? Because, you know, church history is not about who was born and lived in 1535 or what treaty was signed in the 19th century. Church history is the uninspired continuation of the book of Acts. Church history is the account of how the Holy Spirit works in building up the kingdom of God. And we gain lessons from that. And we gain encouragement from that. That's what Paul is saying here. But he's not just saying that God works through His church. He's saying something else. He's saying something that we Americans do not like to hear. He says, authority is good in the church. Do you notice that? Look what Paul does. After three years, he goes up to Jerusalem to visit Peter. The word there, as we looked at before, for visit is making inquiry of. It's a very active process. It's almost going to see who this person is and what they can do. Paul goes to visit Peter and James. He goes to the leaders of the church. This is an interesting thing because we would expect Paul not to have to do this. After all, he is an apostle, he tells us, directly from God. He's spoken to the risen Christ. He's actually already got a viable ministry. What does he need Peter for and the church that's struggling in Jerusalem? He's out in Antioch and the church is growing. He's out in Damascus and the church is growing. But you see, Paul sets an example for us. He goes to the leadership in the church. This is something that we are to take to heart. Just as one illustration, it's something that I take to heart in my ministry. I have been spending a lot of time, intentionally, in the past month and a half, with John Carroll, with the elders, with the deacons. It's not because I don't want to spend time every day with every one of the families, but there's a place to begin. You get to know the leadership. Because leadership comes from the people. And so you gain a sense of who the people are and their priorities. Leadership is acknowledged and ratified by God. You see, you begin there. Authority is important. Notice what Paul does not do, which is so contrary to our modern day. Paul does not strike out on his own. If Paul, uninspired, lived in the 21st century, he would probably found a new denomination. 
he would probably find something wrong with the church that he was a part of and start a new one. Now, do not hear me that there is never a time to leave a church, for there is. I plead with all of my friends and relatives in the PCUSA to leave that body because they have denied the Scriptures and denied the sufficiency of the work of Christ. But you notice that when they begin, when they're on the same page of the Gospel, Paul comes to the authority. He doesn't strike out on his own. He doesn't start Pauline Christianity. That's a modern innovation to talk about Paul's Christianity and Peter's Christianity and John's Christianity. No, it's Jesus Christ and His church. This is contrary to our modern practice. And we are especially vulnerable to it, beloved. As Americans, we pride ourselves on independence, don't we? On not needing help. On not needing assistance. But that's not the way the church. The way of the church is mutual dependence, submission, unity. The other important thing about knowing the church is that knowing the church helps us to know Jesus. So many modern Christians think that the church gets in the way of their relationship with Jesus. And if you think biblically, that just makes no sense at all. For where is Jesus found but in the church? The church is, Paul tells us in the letter to the Corinthians, the temple of the Holy Spirit. When he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, he's using a y'all. And all y'all. He's not saying you in your body is the Holy Spirit. He's saying you collectively are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is found in the church. And do you remember what Jesus Christ tells us the Holy Spirit's main task and ministry is at the end of the Gospel of John? It is to declare all the things of Jesus to us. That is the Holy Spirit's ministry. So if the Holy Spirit is God and therefore is perfect and His job is to tell of the work and person of Jesus Christ, and so does so perfectly. And if he does it in the church, where should you go to hear the voice of God? The church. Paul understood that. He interrupts his ministry, has an opportunity, because now Barnabas has come alongside him, and he says, I want to go see Peter. Where better to learn about Jesus than in the church? And he says something here that you might miss if you read it quickly or don't have a commentary handy. Do you notice who he talks to? He talks to Peter and James. Now, you might have expected him to say Peter and John or Peter, John, and James or throw a couple of other names in. Turn with me, if you would, very quickly back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's telling this grand and glorious story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to... And actually, it's Cephas. It's funny because we always think of calling Peter, Peter, so much so that many translations use the word Peter here. But he says Cephas, just like he does in Galatians 1. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. I take from that that what Paul did was went and saw Peter and James and he said, I've seen Jesus. Tell me about what you saw him. Let's compare notes. Tell me what it was like. You see, Paul wanted to find out about Jesus. So he went to the church. He went to Peter. He went to James. He wanted to know God's church. We see this all the time in our common lives, but we don't apply it to the church. Think about sports for a minute. You want to learn how to hit a curveball, what do you do? Do you check out every book in the library and read about curveballs and their velocities and their spins? No, what do you do? You find somebody that can hit a curve. And you say, what do I look for? How do you do it? It's called mentoring. And the church is where that happens. Even for Paul. Even one who had seen the risen Christ. So we're to know the truth in our ministry and we're to know the church, be involved with the church. That comes counterintuitively to us. We want to strike out on our own. We're Americans. We don't want to have to answer to anyone. We don't want to have to change our plans for our ministry. We don't like it when someone comes alongside us and says, you know, you might really not want to use these scriptures when you're talking about that. You might want to use these other ones. They might be more effective for you. We don't like that. The third thing that we often skip over in our thoughts of ministry is what Paul says at the end of this passage. And again, it's something that typified his whole life. You could read through any letter of Paul and you will see this. He says you've got to know the people. You've got to know the church, but don't assume that knowing the church means you know the people. You've got to get to know the people. Why is this? It's because first and foremost, knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is not enough in our lives. If I were to give this in sort of a logical fashion, I would say knowing the truth is a necessary, but not a sufficient thing. You've got to know the truth. But you've got to do more than know it. Paul's a perfect example of this, isn't it? Who knew his Bible better? Remember we said as a Pharisee, memorized backwards, forwards, up and down? Ask Paul what the 20th word in the book of Isaiah is, and he rattles it off. This is what the Pharisees did. And who better than Paul to know about Jesus? He saw the risen Christ, was taught of God himself, directly inspired. 
But you see, Paul knew it wasn't enough to know God and know the truth. He had to take that truth out into the people. Because knowledge is for the people. He is bringing the knowledge of God to others. You see, Paul is bringing this knowledge specifically to the Gentiles. Peter knew the same stuff. Paul says as much. But he says Peter has a ministry to the circumcision. He had to know the circumcision. He had to know the Jews. He had to bring that ministry to the Jews. Paul had a ministry to the uncircumcision, to the Gentiles. So he had to learn who they were. He had to bring this truth to them. The question comes to us. How can we know the gospel, know God's truth, and not think it's for people? That's what the gospel's all about. This, perhaps one of the simplest distillations of the gospel is God saves sinners. That means we've got to find some sinners to bring it to. God doesn't save trees or rocks. He saves sinners. You know, the time in which I ministered in Chula got me to learn a little bit about farming. And if you're going to farm cotton, you've got to know about cotton. You can't plant cotton like you plant beans. You can't water it like you water beans. You can't harvest it at the same time you harvest beans. If you do, you will go broke. Right? Some of you among us here are gardeners. Do you treat roses like trees? Water them the same amount? Put them in the same soil? Right? Come on. Moms, you even know your own children. You treat your own children differently based upon who they are. Some kids just see the written word on the page and they pick it up. Some need pictures. Some need crafts. You need to know the person in order to get across the truth. That's what Paul's saying here. Because what he does is he goes about through the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He's learning who is in the church. That's what he's doing in Acts chapter 9. He's not saying, oh, God saved me. I'm going to now go sit somewhere and read. He says, I've got to meet these people even though they don't like me. I've got to learn who they are. Because in order to serve people, you have to know them. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. And I would encourage you to think about this for your own ministry. This is what marks ministry. He says that he brought the gospel of God, verse 2, in the midst of them, in the midst of much conflict. But he says in verse 7, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now listen to this, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. Notice what he puts first, the truth. But he doesn't put a period there. He says, but also our own selves. Because you were dear to us. 
That's Paul's context of ministry. Knowing and loving people and bringing them the thing that he loved the most, the gospel. We almost might want to think of Paul to use our sanctified imagination with his nursing mother analogy as a wise old woman who's a good matchmaker. She sees a good young man and a, and a wonderful young lady and she wants to bring them together because she loves both of them and thinks they'll be perfect for each other. There's a sense in which Paul's job is a matchmaker. His man is perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the lady that he sees, while she's not perfect, she's perfect for Jesus because of what he's done. It's the church. And his job is going around telling people he loves, telling young ladies he loves about the man that he knows and loves. Bringing them together. You've got to know the people. Now, there's something very frightening about this to us. It makes us vulnerable. You can't share your very own self to others. You can't be a nursing mother and not be vulnerable. You are going to be hurt. If you minister to others, you are going to be hurt. Whether it be from wolves in the church, or as anyone knows, what's one of the things you have to watch out for most when you see someone drowning and you try and help them? They lash out at you because they don't know what they're doing. And they can try and hurt you. And that can happen in the church. But we persevere on because we know the truth and we know the church and God's purpose for her. And we know the people and know what they need. And it's the gospel. And so Paul goes out to these regions, Syria and Cilicia, and that's not enough for him. He doesn't like the fact here that he's not known by the churches in Judea. He's glad that they hear a report of him, but he wants to be known by them. And he will travel, the next verse, he will travel to Jerusalem because he wants to meet them and he wants to know them and he wants to be accepted by them. That's his ministry. And finally, we need to know the people of God because God is glorified through relationships. That doesn't mean that because we have relationships that brings glory to God just because we have relationships. No, because the world has relationships, don't they? They have marriages, they have children, they have friendships. No, it's in the context of relationships that God chooses to reveal His glory. God gives hope to us through our relationships. Think about the people in Judea giving glory to God. They might say to themselves, Wow, if God can save Saul, is there anything he can't do? That's unbelievable. You know, that guy. He was killing everybody in sight. He was public enemy number one. He was so smart and tricky and crafty and tenacious and hateful. And God saved him. God can do anything. God can do anything through us. 
I hear that some guy out in a backwater church was a part of his healing. God gives hope through relationships. And God also shows His power through relationships. You see, the church here, the people of God, are giving glory to God because God has made His victory certain and clear. He has said, Paul is a tangible example of Jesus' truth that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Paul was a, Saul was a mighty warrior on the walls of the gates of hell. And he could not prevail against God. He met Jesus Christ and was defeated without even a struggle. That's how powerful God is. You see, the power of the gospel was manifested in Paul's life. So we're to know the truth. We're to know God's church and we're to know His people. And the reason is because God has a ministry for us, for you and for me. And it starts out with knowing Him. And it is lived out in the context of the church. And it is for the sake of His people. That is real ministry. That is what Paul has here in Galatians. And he's reminding them of it. May we catch his vision for ministry and bring this gospel before which none can stand to a dying world.